0: Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast. Hi. This is a podcast all about copywriting and the business of being a copywriter. My name is Belinda Weaver, I'm the founder um, of Copyright Matters, I am a copywriter, and I'm the creator of the Copywriting Masterclass. With me is my co-host, Kate Toon.
1: Hello, my name's Kate Toon, I'm also a copywriter, I'm founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success in course.
0: Our guest today is Jackie Pryor. Now, Jackie is the founder of Mark My Words Trademarking Services in Melbourne. Jackie has more than 15 years of experience in the trademarking industry, and she likes to help businesses protect their intellectual property. She also shares her knowledge on Flying Solo website. You might have seen her there. And today, we are going to pick her brains about copyright and trademarking. So Jackie, welcome, welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you here. Did you miss anything?
2: <laughs> I don't think that you did miss anything, except the scary part is it's now been more than sixteen years that I've been doing what I do, and coming up scarily close to seventeen years.
0: Oh wow! You win, you win. Mm-hmm. Been
2: in business for longer than long I think time. Kate and I have. A <laughs> long time.
0: So, many of our listeners um, will be copywriters or be interested in copywriting. So, they'll be familiar with this idea that copywriting as we know it um, are the words used to promote, say, a person or a business, an opinion or idea. That's very different to what you uh, work with. So, can you explain to our listeners what copyright with an R-I-G-H-T is and what it covers?
2: Okay. So copyright with the R versus the W is basically the protection that is granted over certain work that the copyright law covers. So generally speaking, that covers things like written works, um, artistic works, dramatic works, craft works, broadcasts, and sort of extensive works that you put together to express an idea, I suppose. So the things that you're copywriting is an expression to promote a person or a business. So it's those expressions that can then be protected by my of, my So that
1: makes sense. So, uh, yeah, we get, we get that. I guess the problem that a lot of copywriters have is they don't really understand how they can protect the words they write and their own, for their own marketing. I mean, is that actually even possible?
2: Well, yeah, as soon as you write something that's original, basically you own it is the general rule. So you don't have to register ownership of a copyright, simply by being the original author, you own it and it's then up to you what you want to do with that property that you own, be that, you know, let other people use it, be it communicate it to the public, um, license it to other people sell it to other people whatever you want to do. So you you just sort of automatically have that right. You don't have to register that anywhere. And obviously then you have the right to stop other people doing things with your work you don't want them to do.
0: Is there an element of publishing in that? So obviously I mean I could write something amazing and then never show it to anyone and then just say that I did write it, but surely people will have got to see it, maybe I've got to publish it before that copyright can come into play. Is that right?
2: Well, not necessarily because you're still the original author okay. of that work. So it's a commercial idea just as protecting other commercial property is. So the idea is to give you rights when it comes to communicating it to the public, um, but that doesn't necessarily take away ownership if for some reason you choose <coughs> not to. Not to.
0: Okay. okay. So, then so, that flips over that to the work so we do, do the, the words we write for our clients. So, a lot of copywriters, you know, I know Kate and, and myself included, we have in our terms and conditions that, um, you know, statements about copyright, but maybe like the copyright is ours as the author until the invoice is paid or something. But, you know, is it really protected in that way when you're in that client relationship?
2: Yes. Is the short answer. So there'll be I think we like short answers. <laughs> There's a few exceptions to the rule. Like if you were an employee of a company providing copyright services, then as the employee, you're not necessarily the owner. It would be more likely that your employer is the owner of the copyright. But when you're freelance writing for people, then you are the owner. It's up to you whether at you know, if your client pays their invoice, that's up to you if you then give them full right to the copyright you might choose not to Um, that's entirely your decision and certainly having it in the terms and conditions will help make that clear between yourself and your clients as to who owns what and when that ownership might transfer
1: Cool. But I mean, I think I guess the truth of, of all of this, you know, no matter how robust your terms, and conditions are and no matter how clear it is to the client and yourself who owns the copy, it would only really be enforceable if you were to take them to court or to involve somebody like you to kind of say, hey, you used that copy on your homepage, but you never paid my bill. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So, and it's <laughs> oh, the gosh, same- it's just
2: like, it's- yes yeah <laughs> it's the same it's the same with enforcing any legal contract that you might have in business there will be unfortunately people that choose to breach the terms of a an agreement or a contract and then unfortunately you do find yourself in a position of having to enforce the terms of that contract so that usually you wouldn't go straight to court and sue someone for it you'd send them a letter of demand that they're infringing your copyright that they based on those terms and conditions, don't have the right to be using it at their website or in promotional material or wherever it may be, um, subject to those terms. So normally a letter of demand would resolve a situation like the one you've described as an example. Um, And then unfortunately, if they weren't to respond properly to such a letter, then you would have to consider whether or not you wanted to instigate further proceedings for that infringement and breach of terms.
1: That makes sense. And I I think, you know, uh, a lot of copywriters I know just don't even have any terms and conditions, they don't get the client to sign or view anything before they start working. So I think it just reinforces that just by having some terms and conditions and, and making it clear to the client that the copy is yours until they've paid, that, you know, as you said, You can even just refer to that and it will be enough after, you know, so if they use your copy and they haven't paid for it, you can say, hey, but you signed my terms and conditions, we agreed this, and often that can be enough to make them go, oh, you're right, okay, here, here's the cash. Um, And then, as you said, then a letter and then, worst case, full-on
2: bill. Yeah, well, that's right. So, technically, if you did not have any terms and conditions in place, you as the writer would remain the owner. However, it might be implied, assuming that the client has paid a bill with no terms and conditions in place, it would be implied that they are allowed to use that copy for the purpose it's been commissioned. You would still be the owner, but it's sort of implied they get to use it because they paid you to do it. If there's no terms and conditions and no payment, then you have 100% rights to make sure that they don't use it, so on and so forth, whether you've got those terms and conditions in place or not.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Certainly,
2: yeah, certainly having terms and conditions will make it neater. It lets both sides know the expectations of the other person and certainly in the event someone breaches those terms will make it an easier process to enforce your position.
0: It's right. a bit like um, debt collecting in a way, isn't it? Like I know we're talking about different things but having those processes and, and the kind of the expectations and the terms and conditions... It, it all comes down to how, willing, how far you're willing to go to enforce something as well, or whether you just
2: let it go. Yeah, and I mean, ter- I think every business should have terms and conditions, whether there's copyright in there or not, um, because it does set out those expectations. And then in the event one party doesn't do what they're supposed to do, you can both refer back to that and say, well, here it was in black and white, without a set of terms and conditions for any business... It's too easy for one or the other to argue that X, Y, Z was never part of the deal because it was never documented that way.
1: Okay, cool. Now, I'm going to go off script from our, from our questions that we were planning to ask you. I hope you don't mind, Belinda, but I've got a question that kind of occurs to me out of that. So, you, you, you've got your terms conditions. you both signed them. Is that enough? Do they then need to be signed by a lawyer or, or is, is the fact that
2: both of you have read through and signed an agreement, is that sufficient? It's better than nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to have a lawyer sign literally your terms and conditions. I would always recommend a business has a lawyer draft their terms and conditions to ensure that they are compliant with the laws of the relevant state or country, business type, all those sorts of things. There is legislation out there that will dictate certain requirements, certain business types that they must uphold so if those things aren't included in your terms and conditions you might find that you still sort of default to these pieces of law simply because they're the law whether you wrote them down or not you can't write a document that undoes what is legally expected of a business Um, and likewise if you were to write your own you might put things in there that simply aren't enforceable Um, So, the key thing around that that you would see in a a lawyer-drafted set of terms and conditions are provisions in the document that basically say if one part is found not legally enforceable, it doesn't affect the rest of those terms.
1: Yeah. I guess it's just, you know, not realistic for poor poor little copywriters necessarily to, um, you know… Get a, a a lawyer to review every every uh, terms conditions that they they produce, so it's about creating a good one to begin with and and making sure that
2: it's sound. yeah, absolutely. And you you would find sort of let's use copywriting as the business type that makes sense in this discussion. If you had one service agreement or set of terms and conditions, even if it was reviewed by a lawyer, if you drafted it yourself to you know save some of the cost there then you can sort of use that with most clients and modify it slightly as you would need, but know that in principle the, the real bones of that document would be enforceable if you ever needed to rely on it.
0: Yeah, And that's yeah. it. It's, it's when the poo hits the fan. It's good to know that you've got that backing, <laughs> that you can speak with some authority and some of sometimes it's just about confidence to get customers to or clients to come around and pay the invoice and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. So so let's talk about branding and trademarking, which is the kind of flip side of this. So um, I've worked with you on trademarking parts of my brand and I think you, Kate, you have too as well, haven't you?
1: No, nothing of mine is trademarked. Ah. just out there in case anyone wants to steal all my stuff, <laughs> so,
0: which we will get to. But what parts of a business identity or a brand can actually be trademarked?
2: A lot of... Different things can be trademarked. So the the idea of a trademark or what a trademark actually is, is any sign that one business operator is using to distinguish their products or service from anybody else in that industry. So a sign in that sense could be a name or a logo, which are the most common types of trademarks. Slogans and taglines are up there. But you can even trademark things like colours, smells, shapes, Sounds um, a whole variety of things. So long as they've got that capacity to really act as your as a badge of origin for the product or service that you're offering, where consumers can hear it, see it, smell it, and know it belongs to a particular um, trade origin.
0: And surely, there's a, a level of uniqueness there. Absolutely. It's absolutely. So when
2: identifiable. Yeah. So it, it's still possible, but it can be more challenging to try and register something that's. I suppose, descriptive or commonly used within the field um, that you operate in.
1: Okay, so um, based on that, I mean, how, how much does trademarking cost on average? I'm not asking you to just divulge all your pricing, but you know, on average, how much would it cost me to like trademark my logo and my business name?
2: See, I saw this question and I cringed because there is no average cost. (laughs) There's no average because when you register a trademark, you do so in connection with your business products or services. Different products and services are separated into categories by trademark offices around the world. The number of those categories you need will determine the cost. So the main factors that go into it are those goods and services that i mentioned the countries in which you're registering and whether or not you were to do it yourself or employ an agent to do it for you and obviously agent fees would vary so the best way i can answer that is to tell you if you were to register your own trademark in australia requiring only one category of product or service, you would be up for $420 in total if it went smoothly, possibly more if it didn't go smoothly, um, more if you needed more categories or you decided to use an agent. So it can be as low as $420, split over two stages of about seven months apart.
0: And how long does that last? Is it forever, is it a decade, a year?
2: It would last 10 years, Um, initially, and then you can renew that each 10 years Obviously,
0: I'm asking that because I'm like, when do I have to renew mine? (laughs) I'll
2: I'll let you know, Belinda.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually got my name, Copyright Matters, and my blog name, The Copy Detective, trademarked. And I guess for me, the the reason I kicked it off is because – Jackie had some amazing special deal on Um, so I got them both done I think for the price of one but um, it's really nice to kind of have that little bit of certainty but I mean what is the certainty what is the the real benefits why is trademarking important to do why should people consider
2: it I think there's a few reasons it's important and I primarily work with I suppose Smaller businesses, which is where my passions lie, and I think it's even more important for small businesses. It gives you several rights that you just don't have if you don't register your trademarks. The first is the right to actually use whatever your, your brand name or your logo, whatever it may be, it's the right to actually use it if you don't register, you don't have the right to use it. Somebody else might actually have a trademark that's very similar and therefore have the right to stop you from using a name that you've sort of been building a reputation on. Um, So I think it's important from that aspect. Um, and it also gives you the right to stop other people if they pop up in the same sort of industry as yourself. Um, if they, they pop up using the same or similar names and logos and things like that, you've then got the legal right to say, that's an infringement on my trademark, you need to stop doing what you're doing, and you've got legal recourse if you need to take that further. Having things like business names, company names, domain names, that's all great that's and often awesome. <laughs> it doesn't give you right
1: to the name okay now a question there if if a lot of um copywriters for example um, use their own name uh, as their business name but I'm I'm a perfect example of that can you yeah. trademark your actual own name so if someone comes along and you know sets up another business called Kate Toon can you, you can't really have a go at them if that's their name is that how does that work
2: You can register your own name as a trademark Um, so long as your name's not so common that it would be expected that other people with that same name would need to use it as a brand for the same service, Um, so it's quite possible. It can be a little more difficult to enforce a trademark that is your own individual name simply because if that's somebody else's birth name that they were given with, you can't actually tell them that they need to change their name and they can't use that anymore, but it would give you some right if they were really using it in a brand sense. So if they were really branding their copyright business as Kate Toon, you'd be able to say, hey, that's too similar to what I'm doing. By all means, in the about us information, you know, use your own name if, if your name happens to be Kate Toon, but your actual brand needs to be something that doesn't conflict with mine.
0: I'd like to think
1: you're a bit safe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, Kate. There are a lot. Of, uh, there are a lot more tunes than you'd think. There, there's a lot of us there. I don't know why. But, uh, and I mean that brings me on to the to the next question, which is uh, copycats. So yeah. copycats are the base the bane of my life um i find you know people send me links and say hey look at this website it looks just like your website and look at this copy it's exactly the same as the copy on your website um you know and generally i just kind of have a private
2: rant about it to my uh, colleagues and then move on but is there actually anything i can do about that well if it's your copy and you haven't transferred your right to anybody else then you're entitled to get those people to stop Copying that's your right as the copyright holder I mean if you've assigned full rights to a client at some point and they've chosen to let somebody else use it then there's not much you can do because you've relinquished ownership already but let's assume that you've maintained ownership of whatever that copy may be you're within your rights to tell them to take it down
1: But what degree of of change makes it all moot? So, you know, they they move the first line to the bottom and fiddle around with a few verbs here and there, and then it's
2: not exactly the same, but it's pretty much the same. Where's that line drawn? There's no specific line. Every case would be different and need to be assessed on on the basis of itself. However, the the biggest thing I hear is probably this concept of change it by 10% and it's okay. That's a myth. That's not a real existing thing in copyright law. So copyright infringement occurs, generally speaking, and like I said, every case is a bit different. It generally occurs if somebody uses your copyright in a way that you've been granted an exclusive right to use it. So that's normally reproducing it. In materials, communicating it to the public and making adaptations of that work. So if they do any of the things that are exclusively your right to do, where they've got problems there. It's also possible to infringe copyright by paraphrasing and it's also possible to infringe copyright when you use a substantial part of somebody's work. And in the Australian copyright laws at least, substantial doesn't necessarily mean a big part it means an important part so if they've used part of your copy that's really integral to what that copy was about then I would consider that that's a substantial part and you'd still be within your rights to tell them not to do it anymore anymore.
1: okay well that's good to know
0: and do you just do you, you know? Just can you just know, write them an official letter yourself and go, Ahem, "That's mine. Take it down." Or, or do you need to um, <laughs> do you need to get lawyered up and, and that sort of stuff? Is it just enough to
2: write to them yourself? It can be. Um, again, every case is a little bit different, and it would probably depend depend on who's doing it, why they're doing it, any past relationship you might have with those people etc etc but I've often had clients will reach out in situations like that to the alleged infringer first you know in a sort of friendly manner Um, sometimes that will resolve it sometimes it doesn't and then you're probably best advised to get um, an appropriate lawyer or, or professional to write a letter of demand for you. The the downside, I suppose, of doing it yourself is you might not know all of the things that you're actually entitled to seek as relief from that infringement. So if your goal is simply that they take down that copy, don't use it again, then great, that could achieve it. If your goal is actually to get, you know, some sort of damages or or something of that nature, for the infringement, then you're probably better off getting legal advice around the best way to do that. Mm. And
0: that sounds like that would apply for products and stuff as well as look and feel and the content. It's the the part and parcel, right?
2: Yeah, so products brings us into a different category properly depending on precisely what about the product you're trying to protect. Um, But products themselves could fall into various um, areas, I suppose, of intellectual property outside of copyright laws as well. And generally speaking, if you're the registered owner of something under any intellectual property category, you would be within your rights to enforce that ownership, including to get people to stop doing what they're doing.
0: Gosh, that's all terribly complicated and interesting.
1: (laughs) This is why we aren't lawyers. That's right, it's terrifying I'm glad with the other type of copywriters it's good it's much easier um that, I mean, that's great. I think those are our, our core questions. Uh, I, I might I might actually recap them a little bit. Belinda, what do you think? So, I think, uh, you know, we need to have terms and conditions, ideally written by a, a lawyer, but they don't need to be necessarily approved by a lawyer every single time that they're signed. Um, Trademarking is a good idea. I think that that's what I took out of that, but pretty hard to it's trademark. Name. Sorry. It's a great
2: idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would say that.
0: And it was also that the, the, if we're the original author of words, that we have rights that uh, don't go away just because we didn't have terms and conditions. Even though terms and conditions are a fantastic idea, I love this idea that we've got rights as the author yeah. of our words.
1: And also the the point, that terms and conditions aren't enforceable. I've heard that said before, you know what I mean? That they're, they're not worth the paper they're written on. So I think that's that's it's good to know that that's not true and that we have rights regardless i think that's really good
2: yeah and couldn't i interrupt there for a second something else just occurred to me um that would be relevant to you guys and what you do even if in your terms and conditions you say okay client x pays me x amount and then the works theirs, they can own it i don't own it anymore You've even then still got a right to be attributed as the moral, like moral rights to be attributed as the author, even if you're no longer the owner of that work. Interesting. But they don't have
1: to
0: attribute you, do they?
2: As in no, other things. That but. that would be up to you to include in your terms and conditions as to whether you expect them to if they take ownership of that work. Um, and certainly they don't have to if that's the agreement made, but moral rights in written work are separate to actual ownership in that work. Mm. Yeah, and
0: good little addition, Jackie. <laughs> It's really good to
2: know. Really good to know. The other thing on that topic is if you come across someone that's using your work without your permission, just because they have attributed you as the author does not mean they're not infringing.
1: Right. So that's a good example for when, um, you know, I know that some writers have had, like, their blogs taken and used on another site, and they, yeah, they're attributed and maybe even get a link back, but they didn't give permission for that blog to be used. So you're within your rights to say, hey, take that down, I didn't give you permission. Exactly okay well I think that's great I feel like I've learned a lot from this it's, 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 it's fantastic are there any other great resources that people can read up on um, I'm assuming your site has some interesting content is there
2: else? I, my website. Yes. I think primarily in Australia I mean every country will be a little bit different but for Australia the copyright councils website which is at copyright.org.au is a brilliant resource they've got fact sheets available pretty much for every industry that you could possibly imagine and how copyright might apply to you and if it does where it does what you can do what you own etc etc so that would be my numero uno resource reference for this conversation
1: fantastic we'll include that in the links yeah
0: absolutely well I think that's about wrap, wraps it up for us. Did you want to leave us with any kind of final thoughts of we, we kind of picked your brain clean
2: there? I love those couple of little additions you gave us. I think, yeah, I don't really have much more to add that we haven't gone over other than in your line of business if you're a copywriter, I really do think it's important to have your terms and conditions looked at properly Um Not just because of the copyright with an R situation, but just general engagement with clients. Like I said before, I think that's important for all business types. Um, I I think, you know, pull the pennies together as soon as you can. Have a lawyer at least look at what you've got in place. Offer some comment around how enforceable that is, I suppose.
0: And I guess by the time you've got the the pennies together to do that kind of stuff, um, more often than not, you've got a little bit of experience under your belt as, as working with copywriting clients.
2: And so you have that perspective as well. Absolutely. And and you will have learned what your terms and conditions didn't include that perhaps they should have or you've gone overkill, I suppose, and you, you can look back and reflect and see all the things that perhaps didn't need to be in there. but. Certainly, something to keep an eye on at all times. Update as necessary um, as business travels.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks very much for lending us your your time and your experience today, Jackie. Um, we'll we've got some links. We'll put some links to your website and your Facebook page in the show notes. We'll definitely include the was it the Copyright Council of Australia link as well, um, so people will be able to find you and say hello and find out more if they they want to. So, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Kate, let's end the show with a usual uh, shout-out to one of our listeners, shall we?
1: Who have you got today? Who are we going to call out today?
0: I've chosen a really, really recent one, John Esperan from the UK, lovely English chap, who says, why didn't I know about this podcast six months ago? Um, Just as an aside, John, we weren't going six months ago. (laughs) He says, I've just been binge listening, that's a thing, right, to 11 episodes and love the relaxed and humorous approach of both Kate and Belinda. The content is genuinely useful and the guests are interesting and the hosts show themselves to be real people. Can't wait to hear what's coming next. Next, Smashed it.
1: Oh, my goodness. He's officially our favorite listener right now. (laughs) I know, he actually
0: got, I remember he got referred from another listener, Mel, in the UK, and I remember him tweeting that he was just listening to every
1: single episode in one hit. I love that. Uh, that's awesome. That makes us feel so good. I think, you know, the, these reviews are fantastic. Not only do they make me and Belinda feel really happy, but uh they do help other copywriters find our podcast and uh you know, you might be helping a newbie copywriter avoid some terrible mistakes. So please give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher if you have the time.
0: Yeah, and your review just like John's will be read out. And we make it into a snappy little meme and we put it on the website. So, you know, there's multiple payoffs there. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can also head to the thehotcopypodcast.com, our website, and leave any thoughts and comments on the blog post for this particular episode. So, so that's it for today. Thank you very much, Kate. Thanks a lot. Happy writing.
1: Cool the sound sounds okay but a bit like you're in a bucket. Are you in a bucket?
2: I think I'm in a bucket. <laughs>